This is the Mindvox podcast hosted by Claire Jacobs. Mindvox is a space to talk about our minds and mental health, so we cover topics that can be of a triggering or sensitive nature. We will always highlight the topics we cover in the show notes of each episode's description, so please read these before listening. Please note we're not medical experts, we're only experts of our own mental health experiences. To find out more about the pod or contact us, find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the name Mindvox Pod. everyone welcome back to mindvox pod today i have with me a lady called brooke bounds she's a therapist a brain spotting practitioner and trauma coach specializing in narcissistic abuse throughout her life brooke has personal experience of trauma a lack of self-confidence and good old imposter syndrome until she found strategies to heal herself she's been referred to as a trauma breakthrough queen and she's written a self-help book about the self-sabotage cycle. These are quite some words for me to bring out. Brooke's mission is to raise awareness of the mother wound trauma from narcissistic mothers and educate others about ways to stop living in fear behind a mask so that they can be seen and heard. She's also a mother to four adult children and a grandmother to nine children. That's amazing. Hi Brooke, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, I'm very excited, actually, because this is definitely a topic I haven't yet covered, but one that I myself have read a lot about over the years. So I really want to hear more, especially about the mother wound. My first question really is just by the intro, what is a brain spotting practitioner? I've not heard of that one before. Yeah, not many people have heard of it. Have you heard of EMDR? Yeah, that's um, one of the trauma style therapies, isn't it, that helps, especially for traumatic events, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. well, brain spotting has been likened to that on steroids. It's a really, really powerful technique to help release trauma. And it's to do with like your eye movement, because your eyes obviously connected to your brain, where it goes right down deep into where the the trauma stored into the fight, flight or freeze part in the amygdala. So it's a really, really powerful tool to help to release trauma, but in a way that you don't end up reliving that, that trauma so it's a very very uh, powerful technique that I use quite a lot with my clients and the other week I released um, some trauma with a client of 50 years worth of trauma it was it was just an incredible emotional time and um, she wow. did amazing so I'm already sensing that I might need to try and book you in again for an entire episode on brain spotting because that I've never heard of that and I that's really intriguing because I've always wanted to do EMDR but it's very difficult to get on the NHS, as you're probably aware. And I've read that a lot of people say it's only for one particular traumatic event it works best on rather than like a, you know, a childhood of trauma. So is, yeah. is brain spotting better for people that have had multiple or lengthy trauma? You can work on like one specific um, thing. So like if um, I, I work a lot with what's called protector parts, which is an, another sort of thing. So I believe that we've got our true self, our inner child, and we have these protective parts come in, like self-sabotage, like anger, procrastination, and imposter syndrome that come in to protect our inner child. So like if, if you struggle a lot with anger, it's we can work on that with with brain spotting to ha- help you to, to release the, the trauma that created that, that anger in the first place and why your like, inner child is feeling really angry and scared. So that need that protection's coming in because it's um, protecting your inner child. It's not protecting you as the adult. So that anger part is coming in. So your inner child doesn't feel like she's not good enough, worthy, important, or or um, lovable. So getting angry is, although it can be painful, it's less painful than feeling those emotions of, of not feeling good enough or, or lovable. So it's an interesting concept. You know, it's like oh, I don't know why I suddenly get angry. I just burst into anger. So we can work on that through the brain spotting and find out where it's where it's come from and, and release it from the body because all this trauma is stored in the body. So we can actually release it from the body and then you can start to heal. Okay, that's um me. <laughs> I, that sounds like me with all my anger and your... we can have a brain spotting session then sometimes. Oh my goodness, that would be amazing. Yeah. And is that something you can do with people sort of online or do they have to be in a room with you doing No, nope, I do it all online. I've okay. got clients all over the world that I do it with. That's something I may have to pick your brains on then. That is um, for another episode, hopefully, if you'll come back. If I don't uh, scare you off. (laughs) (laughs) But going back to the topic that we're going to look at today, which is a mixture of childhood trauma, but with special attention to narcissism. 
because it is quite a big subject and I think a lot of people experience it without knowing I think safe to say Mm. so my first obvious question for that is what is narcissism well narcissism or narcissistic people are are really really traumatized people and we get this impression that they're really really confident and they're really outgoing and, and they don't care what people think but they have had traumatic experience themselves which has created the narcissism in them and they have got really really deep inner child wounds and i'll often talk about the four main ones which is, again is like not good enough not lovable not worthy not important so they will do anything they can to soothe those inner child wounds and but they don't care about how anybody else feels and then they don't take responsibility for their emotions or or what happens to anybody else and it's a bit like they have to project that hurt out because they can't handle it themselves and the way I often sort of like think about it and demonstrate it is for people to get visual about it is if I give you a present of like a glass bowl that glass bowl is now yours, you own it. And if you drop it and break it, that's up to you because I don't own it anymore. I'm not responsible for it. And that's how narcissists feel about their emotions. If they project them out to other people, they haven't got to deal with them because it's too much for them to handle and too much to deal with. So they are really, really traumatized people, although they will never admit that. They'll say it's everybody else's fault. And if you actually question a narcissist about them, they will twist it and turn it and cause you to feel like, oh my goodness, was it actually me? Was it my fault? So they're very good at manipulating. They're master manipulators and they will twist anything because they don't want to feel that feeling of not feeling good enough or not feeling worthy. Is that when you were mentioning they make you believe it's you, is that what people will label these days as gaslighting or is that something a little bit yeah. extra? Yeah, so they'll twist any story around that and think, oh my goodness, did I actually say that, or or is that how how that happened? You know, the the, the different stories that I've heard that my own mother said because my mo- my mother's a narcissist is like incredible that she's made up about about me over the years. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Kind of, what have I done now to like you know family members? Because they just don't want to be seen as somebody that could possibly do all those sorts of things, and they have to be the center of attention in some way, shape, or form. That's why a lot of narcissists will cause drama and situations wherever they are because even if it looks like it's causing bad things that it'll be they'll be the center of attention so people will like they'll often go into victim mode like covert narcissists they they are like probably the worst ones because they they go into victim mode like oh poor me after all I've done for you and you you turn around and, and do that to me um like we were saying just before the call I've just had a TikTok go viral and it was all about Mother's Day cards because so many daughters of narcissistic mothers say yeah I feel the same way because when you pick up a card in the shop that says oh thank you for being a wonderful mother etc we don't feel like that because they've never been wonderful mothers. But if you got them a playing card, they're like, is that all you got me after all the things I've done for you all through your life? You know, oh, I deserve better than that. Oh, that's terrible that you're treating me like this. But they forget how they've treated us throughout our lives for us to not want to give them a wonderful, loving card. Yeah, um, I start to worry that I am one, to be fair, when you was <laughs> like this, because sometimes I do get a little bit triggered by, ah, you didn't even want to spend time with me on Mother's Day and things like that but then I kind of relabel and go well hang on he's just a kid and he's in his own world with his own things and I've never really shown him or talked to him about things like special occasions and yeah I don't know my head goes around on that but we'll talk about that later I think but with gaslighting in particular is that something that you would only expect to see from a narcissist or can people that are not narcissists gaslight narcissist is like on a spectrum like autism you know we've all got some narcissistic traits and because we all want to keep ourselves alive you know so that there's that kind of self-care preservation but it's when people do it and they don't don't care about how it affects anybody else and they don't even see it's their their issue so if I did something to you and you said to me actually that's caused a real kind of issue for me the narcissist would turn around and say well well, you shouldn't have done it that way, that, you know, that's your fault. If you'd have listened to what I said and done it my way, everything would have been fine. You know, so it's all it always turned around to them and always about them because they can never be wrong because if they're wrong in their eyes, they're like, that not good enough wound is really being poked at and, and they can't t- cope with that. So you saying that narcissism, did it evolve from, it's just something that we all have a little bit of, but over the years, do you think some people well, or trauma itself creates a much 
bigger problem for someone? I mean, do you think anyone can ever be born a narcissist or is it purely from experiencing trauma as a child or, or well the research at the moment that it's it's from the the trauma from from childhood that nobody's actually born a narcissist because um often like children of narcissists if you if you've got like two children of a narcissist one could be treated like the golden child and they could end up being a narcissist and the scapegoat could end up being a codependent so um two children growing up in the same house can actually then end up being very very different depending on and the mothers will treat them differently depending on on their needs and and what what suits them as well so and it's often and we'll go into this about the mother wound if narcissistic mothers have daughters they tend to feel threatened by their daughters and they will tend to do whatever they can to keep them small to keep them where they want them because narcissist um, mothers in particular will rely on their their daughters for their emotional needs to keep them happy. And, and if they're not happy, they will blame their daughters for not being happy. Mm. My head's that, oh my goodness. So potentially then you can have a child and then trauma can cause them to become, I'm just, it's easy for me to say narc. Narcissist is too much in my mouth, yeah. I think. Narc if is you don't fine. mind, I'll just use narc, it's quicker and easier. How can it also come about in other ways? So can it come about if, you're an adult who suddenly experiences trauma. Can you then suddenly, at, I don't know, the age of 35, go through some awful traumas and then become narcissistic then? Or is it only if you have trauma as a child? Do they have they looked into that? Yeah, it, it's when you sort of like a child, because it's like up until the age of seven, when, when you're taking everything in like a sponge and your, your brain is building those those neuro pathways because you haven't got the critical faculty up until you're seven to, to reason anything. So whatever you hear, you take on as a, as a truth. So like, for example, um, I have people that come to me and say, well, I'm the stupid one because my sister was always the clever one because that's what my parents always used to say, you know, oh, it's, my sister's a clever one, so therefore I must be the stupid one. It's how parents are, like with the mother wound that, that we're going to touch on, but it's when a mother is physically there but emotionally not not there. So you're not getting that co-regulation and learning how to co-regulate so you can then learn to regulate yourself as you gr grow older. So hence the child can end up being like a narcissist or a codependent where she, when you're a codependent, you're always looking for that outside validation for making sure things are okay. Um, because you, you kind of don't trust yourself or really love yourself enough to think I'm safe to do whatever I need to do. Okay, so it also sounds like then it's not necessarily because I think maybe I had the assumption that you could probably become a narc if you were raised by one, which I imagine yeah. is quite common. But it also sounds like you could become an, a narc if the parenting you had like you said, one of the parents or the main parent wasn't giving you the emotional part of them. So they could be highly depressed or they could have, you know, I don't know, autism or ADHD and find it difficult to express their feelings or show them or even be aware of their own, you know, having very poor mm. interception and things like that and not understand how they're feeling. And I wonder if people that have those issues without realizing can then traumatize that child and then they have not tendencies would that be a way that they could yeah because um a lot of narcissists won't even know like if it, if i said to my mother that you know you need to go into therapy because you've got some really serious issues oh i haven't if everybody else just behaved around me everything would be fine they don't see that they've got any issues at all so they would never go to therapy and ask for any help the only time they would go to therapy is if it's benefited them to manipulate a situation and go in and pretend and think, right, I'll go to counselling or therapy with my partner just to prove her wrong that I don't need therapy. <laughs> mm. And do you find as well, can it be, see, I've seen a lot of things about how narcissism can be misdiagnosed as things like autism, bipolar, but then also vice versa. Is there a commonality where you can be told you're an arc when actually you have, I don't know, bipolar or autism or vice versa, where you're told you have autism, where actually you might actually be an arc. So have you come across that sort of stuff? Yeah, it, it's all sort of crossover and it's, it's all to do with, with with trauma a lot as well. So a lot of people who've got bipolar have been misdiagnosed because actually what they've got is trauma. So it, it's understanding that like, and what you said about your, your son, about Mother's Day, like he didn't spend time with you, but you then backed it up by saying, well, I haven't really shown him about like special days and things like that. Whereas a narcissistic mother would be like, okay, you didn't spend the day with me. And they'll either berate them and 
and have a go at them and make them feel really small for days or ignore them for days. So, you know, there's kind of that sulking for days and, and just ignoring them and making them feel like, oh, my goodness, I can't express how I feel, you know, just because I don't want to spend the day with my mum. I've got to do it because if I don't, I'll the backlash of it, whereas, you know, your son didn't get the backlash of it. So there, there's that step that the narcissist will, will go to, you know, like, like I said about this TikTok that went viral, I've had so many conversations with women that have picked a card out for their mother and they're like, oh, is that all I've got? You know, is that all the effort you can do? And they've tossed it to the side. It's like, and after all I've done for you and they'll go in a tirade and, and put themselves in the centre of attention about, you know, all the wonderful things that she thinks that she's done for the daughter, which she hasn't done because the daughter obviously doesn't feel that. So that's the difference, you know, with, with people yeah. as well. So see, as I can see the similarities, though, because I sometimes when people give me presents that I don't, I, I make it obvious I don't like them um, if I don't like them. And that I, I thought that's quite rude, but I can't help it. it it's literally a, the first thing I, I can't. It's shut, you see it on my face as soon as I open yeah. it. And I'm like, why have you got me this? Why do I need that? I don't, why would you think I want that? You don't know me because why would you give me that? Because I ain't going to use that. I'm very honest to the point that I actually don't like opening presents in front of people anymore because of it I'm scared that I'm or I'll be very vocal of this is what I want by the way <laughs> if you're going to get me and that's what makes the difference between you not being a narcissist and a narcissist because right. a narcissist would open and say is that it and then either have a go at you know kick off or or sulk and not speak to them for like days that, on end but not, well, not, it, that, not that it but I've yeah. gone why have you given me that and not been happy yeah. and like to our boyfriend you don't know me why would you give me that but then yeah. calm down and be like sorry you know you did make an effort but but the narcissist won't say sorry right so like, it is literally my traits of being very it... honest and not able to yeah um, recognize how other people would feel at the time until afterwards and be like oh god yeah that probably is hurtful for the other person that's the lack of interception that I've got I think yeah but yeah, you're aware that, that, you know, of the effect it has on other people where the narcissist wouldn't, like I said, the narcissist mother would be mm. like, you haven't got me this, you know, after all I've done for you. And my friend down the road, she had this beautiful bouquet. Why can't you be as good as her daughter and, and right. keep going on and on and on and on and hold grudges and not speak for years because of it? So they would never get to a point of being able to hear the other person and going, oh, OK, now I get why or ah yes I imagine me saying that to you must have hurt yeah. your feelings they don't ever see that whereas yeah I, I, in the moment I'm just thinking about me but then I go away and I'm like why did I say that what an idiot so yeah I guess that's the key yeah. point because like, the narcissist yeah, mother would if the daughter said well actually this is why because you know when I was younger you know you never made me feel and the narcissist would turn around mother and turn around and say you're just too sensitive you just need, need to like you know toughen up and I was only joking those, those sorts of things that will come out with all the time just to to say you know again putting the blame on on the daughter and not actually taking any responsibility for their for the, mm. what, what they've done whereas you really you're see different. how you can easily yeah. mislabel both because if you don't know the difference yeah yeah you'd look at someone like me and be like oh that's a straight up narc and I have been called that in the past um until I've then gone am I and looked into it and gone oh my goodness and then they've gone and looked in it and gone, oh, actually, no, you don't do that and that and that. So, and you do kind of say, sorry, you just in the moment have no awareness of yourself and I dysregulate. So I'll be triggered, but then be embarrassed that I was triggered and I shouldn't have been angry that you only got me that. Because actually that is something you took a while to think about and your intent was actually really quite special. Yeah. I don't, yeah, so I guess, but a, a, a narcissist would get to that point. Think that, think that right. at all, yeah. Like, what, why did you not, have a wonderful big bouquet flowers mm. present or whatever why didn't you do whatever you know like one lady I was chatting to she said that she organized a booked a meal for for her mother and the mother just didn't turn up she decided to go to bingo and then told the daughter off for being sensitive about her not turning up for a meal that she'd booked <laughs> do you think when they're like telling people off for being and saying those labels like being sensitive because on the other side of it as well I've been called you've just been sensitive when I have an overreaction to things, but that I know now is regulations or imposter syndrome or RSD triggers. It makes sense now. But do you think that when they're actually saying those things and a narc is saying, don't be so sensitive, do you think that might be a way that they are defending themselves? Because deep down, that might have triggered them into thinking they've done something wrong and they can't cope with that. So actually they're, they're being defensive. Yeah, they're, they're projecting their, their feelings. And like with... um story that I used to hear over and over as a child oh you can't do that what will the neighbours think 
which I always thought was really bizarre because we lived on a farm and our nearest neighbour was like a mile down the road. So we didn't technically have neighbours. But what that what that was what she was actually saying was, if you do that, that looks like I'm I'm not a good enough parent and that's too painful for me to do with. So I'll attack you and stop you doing something. So I still look like a good parent to the outside world because you know narcissistic um parents like to to portray that with a it's a perfect family to the outside world and they worry a lot about what other people think and how it looks because of their inner child wounds this uh there are certain people that this is really resonating with me about but yeah so for me i'm now going down a rabbit hole in my head of going but i wonder if you're undiagnosed neurodivergent it can cause a lot of trauma during your childhood if you are different and have traits and you don't know what's going on mm. and you're just seen as awkward weird you know the, the quiet one the, the odd one and apparently you know the more we do late diagnosed like me i was 37 you can go through a lot of trauma as your entire childhood not knowing conditions that you have and how they affect you and and trying to fit into a society that your brain is literally not wired for so mm. i wonder if some people may actually have both if if they might be never told they're autistic or ADHD. And then the trauma of growing up with that undiagnosed condition, would that possibly have given them narcissistic traits? So they also then become a narca on alongside. Do you think that that is possible? Yeah, it depends on on how, how they were brought up with, with their narcissistic parents and, and, and what love they were given and, and what connection they had formed because it's really important in their former years to to have that connection but narcissistic parents aren't capable of connecting that way because they, they don't love themselves and they're not capable of loving anybody else either mm, okay this is a deep one this is definitely could you be traumatized and maybe have a parent who's also undiagnosed divergent mm. maybe autistic and doesn't give you because they don't have the self-awareness of the lovey-dovey stuff the emotion talk so there's no emotional intelligence being given to you, no love that you feel you need. You see what I mean? Maybe it goes through generations of not on purpose, not trying to be enough. Yeah, not... yeah it's fascinating. Sorry, I've gone in my little loophole now. That's, That's okay. Yeah, trauma can go months. back like seven seven generations as really? well. So, you know, um, like my mother didn't connect with, with my grandmother. And when I was pregnant with my um, third child, I actually bumped into a friend of mine. She was, And I'd got two little boys. And she oh, I bet you'd have, love to have a little girl. And I suddenly went, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I didn't say it out loud, but inside I was like, no, I thought I'd happily have another little boy because what if I have a little girl and I have the same issues with my daughter that my mother had with me and my mother had with my grandmother but um thankfully I went on to have two um daughters and they're like my best friends um I've certainly broke the cycle so does gender can it play a part then so because like you said you were not scared if it was a son but as a daughter it's scary whoever you experienced the narcissism from yeah the mother would you then be fearful to being a mother of a girl like is there any evidence yes and and some um people won't have children at all because of fear that they'll, they'll turn out just like their mother whereas I had the kind of thought when I was about seven thinking all I want to do is be a mum because I'll be a great mum because I just do the opposite of what my mother did <laughs> you know so um but it's, yeah that's that um, high where you mentioned that you know a lot of kids from narcs can become either an narc or a codependent are they the, the kind of main categories of, of how they can present when they're older if they've been parented that way yeah yeah it's, it's um it's normally that one of them will turn out a narcissist if there's like two in the fact not necessarily they they may both be codependent or or they could end up both being narcissists depending on how they're treated by the mother and how they they perceive it because trauma isn't the event it's how you think about what's happened in the event and how you keep thinking about it afterwards because the same sort of event could happen to two people and one could be traumatized and the other one could be absolutely fine about it but it just depends on how much trauma they've had in their life and how they keep thinking about that event as well so what is a codependent what would that look like if you had codependency issues you would be like a always looking for outside validation you wouldn't trust you, yourself because every time that you, as a child you you did things that trust yourself you would be gaslit and said oh no no that's not right you need to do it this way and a big people pleased as well wanted to please a person that they're with and are around because that's how you grew up with that but if you got love, it was conditional because, you know, you didn't get love unconditionally. You wasn't like just loved for who you were. You were only loved on things for a condition. You know, if you do this, behave yourself, 
I will spend time with you. If you do this and behave yourself, this will happen. So it's it's very much a conditional kind of thing. And you end up like desperately wanting to do anything to get the love from, from a mother, which, you know, every child would love to have. So you would do anything you can to try and please her and appease her so you can get some of that love and affection from her that, that you don't normally get. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because you've mentioned that briefly that your mum was a narcissist or is a narcissist. I wondered if you felt able to talk a bit about your own journey then with it, which is obviously I imagine why you've become a specialist within this, because you've had personal experiences. I mean, what was childhood like for you? Did you have did you grow up with both parents? Was it just your mum? Like, yeah, what, what um, I had both both parents. My my dad always wanted a little girl and you know, he kind of idolised me when I was born, which was not a good start because the jealousy was immediately there because I was a centre of attention and she wasn't. Plus the fact that I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck and it caused medical issues. So like my whole right side was weaker than my left and I had to like do a lot of physio to work on it and stuff. And the doctor said, I may never walk. And if I do, I'd never run or ride a bike. And I was constantly being thrown in my face by her. Like you didn't even have the audacity to be born properly. Why can't you just be normal like other children? And every day she would say to me that I was ugly, that I was useless, that nobody would ever love me. And she got me to grow up thinking that it was terrible what happened to me, like with having the cord wrapped around my neck. She do not tell anybody about your medical issues because nobody will ever, ever love you. Keep that quiet. Keep that a secret. But realising that as she's, as I've got older, if people knew in, in her mind, it would be like she's not a good parent because she didn't give birth to a perfect child in in her Mm. mind because I wasn't perfect that often quite used to remind me of but these were her projections of how she felt I understand that now but as a child Mm. it was like why can't you just love me love me for me where was your dad in all of that was he also a narc was he not no no my, my dad was um my dad was a farmer so he used to work long hours and she was very very clever at doing things like if she was having a go at me and I started to cry she's like stop crying or I'll give you something to cry for later your dad's now coming so I learned not to cry as a child because it wasn't safe because Mm -hmm. crying equaled danger to me she was not very loving like at night times if I ever called out at night it was my dad I called out for because she just wouldn't come to me and be there for me but my dad was was a, a codependent and I used to say to him you know why don't we just leave? And it's like, and he was like 12 years older than my mum. He's, he's passed away now, but he would have been like uh, 91 this year. But he said, I don't know how to cook and wash. He said, what, what, what would I do? You know, he said, that's just what she's like, you know. Um, so he was aware that she wasn't a very kind person, but he'd kind of like tolerated it. And, and he made up for it in ways that he could. I, I spent hours with my dad, you know, whenever I could get away from my mother and be on the fields with my dad, I was there, mm-hmm. you know, um, whatever I, I could do so unfortunately I had um, a really lovely granddad as well that was really good but like back then like in I was born in the late 60s that sort of thing wasn't talked about and it was just mm-hmm. okay well that's just how they are let's just go on with it and make the most of it type thing as well um I think if I'd have been born now it'd have been a kind of different scenario as well you know mm-hmm. like, I would never go to the teachers at school and say I'd been hit because children were hit a lot back then and a lot of the teachers probably would say well you've probably done something to deserve it kind of thing because children were smacked when I was a child but yeah I was too scared to say anything because it would get back to her and then I'd get even worse so I ended up being a very very shy quiet little girl thinking it's not safe to like speak out because every time I spoke out I was in trouble for it in one way shape or form. Were you the only child or were the siblings as well? No I've got an older brother. Was he treated in the same way or differently? Different he was he was like the golden child but thankfully he, he's a narcissist I mean, is that common that a narcissistic parent will only target one of their children if they have more than one? Yeah, they they, they tend to have like a, a golden child and a scapegoat and, and they tend to target what's called the scapegoat because they tend to be the truth tellers. Where, so they're quite fearful of them because they don't want anybody to know what's going on inside the home because it's like they want to keep you quiet and keep you small so you don't talk about it to other people as well. So she made sure that I kept as quiet as she could possibly keep me quiet. Um, but not anymore. I don't keep quiet about it. <laughs> I tell so, the whole yeah. world about it <laughs> because yeah. the more I speak about it, the more I get messages from people saying, oh, my goodness, I'm not alone. You're giving me hope that I can have a different kind of life because people think that they have to 
keep seeing their mother because society you know well mean is like well you've only got one mother you'll regret it if you don't speak to her you need to go and see her and I think this is the reason my TikTok went viral because I did it just before Mother's Day and there's so many women out there that buy their Mother's Day mother's cards and presents just so she doesn't kick off not that they, they want to give them a presence or anything and if you tell people that all the things that have happened a lot of people will say Oh, surely she can't be that bad. And then after all, she's your mother. So you need to like make sure you, you keep in contact because you'll regret it once she's gone because you only get one mother and all those sorts of things, which, you know, I understand by people saying it because A, they probably don't know what else to say because they can't comprehend it, which is good because they've got a loving mother, but it doesn't help the, the daughter of a narcissist saying that, you know, this is actually what happened to me. Yes, it can be that bad. In fact, it's a lot worse than that, but I'm not telling you all the really, really bad things that have happened to me in my life. Yeah, it's like there's there's not enough validation really about how you've been affected. Because uh, like you said, people don't know what to say. I'm just interrupting this episode to say thank you for listening. I really hope you like it so far. I don't make money from creating this podcast currently and I've always wanted to keep it free, inclusive and accessible for everybody so you can hopefully benefit from it as much as I do. It takes many hours to record, edit and maintain the podcast and there are costs incurred through things like recording and editing equipment, maintaining it online and getting tech help where needed, which I do need sometimes because I'm not tech savvy. I know times are hard, but if you're in a position to donate the price of a coffee or even lower than that, every little helps me to keep this podcast free and accessible for all. To donate, simply go to the link in our bio on this podcast service you're listening from or go to the Linktree website and search for MindVoxPod. This link is also on the bio of our Instagram and Facebook pages, which are also found by searching MindVoxPod. For those not in a position to do any of this, which is absolutely fine, you can help by following and sharing the pod across social media, telling your friends about us and rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and please enjoy the rest of the episode. I find it interesting that she went for you instead of the firstborn, because I would have thought if you're a narcissist, that first child, suddenly your partner's giving them attention and not you and you've been used to just being, you know the center yeah. of attention so i'm really surprised that you're sometimes it can be the that. first one is the scapegoat and the second one can be the goal it just depends on 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 the person but because my dad always wanted a little girl and it's like as oh. soon as i was born i was the apple of his eye that mm. you know was was kind of like okay then i don't know obviously what she was like before i was born because i wasn't, wasn't there but um mm. it it's um interesting because she was very very jealous and i just thought because i knew she had a rough childhood that she was just jealous of of my relationship with my dad and, and she mm. was um she often used to say those sorts of things and this is why I'm very keen to raise the awareness of like the mother wound because people think oh that's just the way my mum is but actually if your mum is overcritical overjudgmental and controlling and expects you to keep her happy you know relies on you for her happiness but she's physically there but emotionally she's not there she's completely absent all these things together and actually you could be suffering from the mother wound and what that is is your mother's got unhealed inner child wounds and she's projecting those onto you and you kind of inherit them. And it tends to be with a mother wound that if a narcissistic mother has a daughter, she will aim it at the daughter, but it doesn't exclude sons suffering at the hands of a narcissistic mother. But people aren't aware of what's happening. And what, what happens is it causes low self-esteem, self-sabotaging, people-pleasing, being scared of being visible. I have so many women that I've got businesses, my clients have got businesses, but they're scared to do a Facebook Live because they're scared to go visible and be seen because when they were seen as a child, that meant they were in trouble and that meant danger. So even though logically in their mind, they know that they could do a Facebook Live, their body has got that trauma trapped from when they were like six or seven and the body's going no and the mind's going, like, yeah, I can do it. But the body will always win out because 80% of messages come from the body to the mind and only 20 to go from the, the mind to the body. So it's like what we feel and then we'll like react to it. So if, if we suddenly go <gasps> and like kind of tense up and raise our shoulders a bit, that's a message from our body to our subconscious mind that, uh oh, there's some danger about now I need to either get ready to run as in a flight or get ready to fight or then go into freeze to keep myself safe in some situation. Even if your mind logically knows that you're sat in front of a computer ready to do a Facebook Live and you're completely safe that you're not going to be chased by a saber-toothed tiger or anything. So it's it's that realisation of, of what's happening to your body because the minute we, we tense our body up, it sends a signal to our subconscious mind that 
there's some danger about. Mm. Is there a difference then between having a narcissistic father and an arc for a mother then? Because obviously you've described it as the mother wound trauma. Is that a very different trauma to if you grew up with a father that was an arc? Yeah, it can be the, the same thing. Like when I was doing this TikTok, I had so many women say to me that that's me, but on Father's Day, you know, because they've got mothers that they, they can, are close to, but their, their dads were, were narcissists. So, so yeah, the, the father wound does exist as well, but I tend to, to work mainly with women. So I talk about the, the mother wound more, but it can be interchangeable mm. for father or, or mother wound. He can be the same thing. He could be controlling, overcritical, judgmental you know physically there but emotionally absent and relying on things happening whatever you do he relies on that to make him happy and if you're not doing the things that make him happy then then you're in trouble for it mm. you can be a covert narcissist where you say that like i i know i've got clients that their narcissistic partners husbands and wives won't actually say anything to them but they'll say things to what's called triangulation they'll say things to their children to try and cause upset and, and um, division in the family like my my mother would say to me things that my brother said but he hadn't said to try and keep us separate because she didn't like us getting together because she worried that actually if we got together and and spoke more about her that maybe we would leave her and then she wouldn't have a her regular supply from me so um it's that that triangulation that they'll, they'll do to keep you separate as well so some, so it's all very intentional, it sounds like. It's not something that you can be doing unaware. It sounds like it's all, I want to do this. Oh, they're master manipulators. Yeah, they so will ma- manipulate things and situations mm. so they get what they want in life mm. and they're the centre of attention. And if you grow up with a parent like that, I mean, I don't know if, if it's, it's, it also sounds like you're more likely to be the target if you're the same gender because I wonder if you're more of a threat. So you being the daughter, not just because your dad wanted a girl, but you're her gender and you're more of a threat to getting attention from the opposite. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's, yeah. there's truth in that. And maybe would a, a father not go more for his son if he has a son? But growing up as whether it's a codependent or a narc yourself, I guess, can you grow behaviours? Can it really affect your adulthood? To so say, you, obviously, if you became a narc, it would definitely affect your behaviours mm. and the way you were. But if you grew up as an adult, you, you'd been a codependent as a child and you don't work on what happened, what can happen to you? Can it affect your mental health, your general functioning? Absolutely. You you can then go into jobs and, and you end up attracting narcissists because codependents are, are like a magnet to narcissists because we want to fix everybody and, and make everybody happy and feel good because we didn't as children. And, and m- most people that have had a narcissistic parent will go on to have a narcissistic relationship. Did you... Yeah, that. I had two of those. Yeah, right. I jumped so, straight out of the frying pan into the fire with, with and um, and but once I started to heal and work on myself, um, then I realised that they couldn't. I started putting boundaries in place, and and narcissists don't like you having boundaries because it's I like was, you know yeah. they're not benefiting from from you you doing whatever you want and people pleasing them because we're conditioned as children to be people pleasers because you know it's all about everybody else's feelings your feelings don't matter and and if you express your feelings that's considered a bad thing so we end up suppressing them and suppressing them and then end up you know where we we're kind of like walking around in functional freeze we're doing things but we don't actually show our feelings so mm-hmm. on, you know you, you very rarely see a codependent get angry but when they do they're kind of like build it up and build it up and build it up and then explode and then build it up and build it up rather than actually dealing with that anger and processing it at, at the time because we're told mm-hmm. that you know you can't show you you can't be angry what will people think if you're angry mm-hmm. you know don't don't show me up in front of, of other people mm-hmm. so they cared more about strangers feelings yes. and what they thought than, yeah. than what, how they cared about their own children's feelings okay so it can appear quite shallow can't it, i guess and uh, so when you said you had two quite awful relationships then you know because you were codependent as an adult what made you realise, hang on, I need to do some work on myself here? Was there a, a catalyst for change? Yeah. When I got with my first husband, we had an argument one day. He'd done a few few things. Like before we got married, we had an argument and he stuck a knife in, in the worktop so hard it actually busted the tip off. And I said, that's it, I'm going. Um, I was only like 18 at the time because we got our first house when I was 18. I said, I'm not living like this. And he went, no, 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 it's because I'm insecure because we're not married. Um, promise that won't happen again. And because I was 18 and, and I'm a people pleaser and I would got hadn't healed any of my wounds, I'm like, oh, yes, I believed him. 
three months after we got married, we had an argument and he, and he actually picked me up and threw me against the wardrobe and I ended up with concussion and whiplash. And it was the sudden thing, hang on a minute, the common factor here is me. So if I don't change my ways, I'm going to spend my life like this. So I then started, I got interested in like personal development books and started working on my mindset. And then I realized that actually it's not just my mindset, it's the actual trauma that I've been through that I need to sort out and release and heal from. And I've been on this long journey all, all my, my life, really, sort of since I was like uh, in my early 20s. Um, what kind of healing did you start with them? Because identifying it, but then knowing what's going to yeah. help your particular issues it's like a minefield out there there's so many different forms of therapies and workshops and books like yeah. where, what did you try and what what helped I started off with personal development books and kind of like got into reading them and thinking okay well I need to like think differently but then I, I got really good at thinking differently thinking I can do this and I'll do this and it's like feel that fear and do it anyway and I thought this doesn't feel right because I was I've got a strong mindset but my body was going like my heart palpitations if I'd gone to do anything my palms were sweaty but I would I would just do it anyway. Then I, I kind of got interested in like trauma and realized that my mother's a narcissist and looked into that and realized actually the trauma is trapped in my body. So if I can release that, then because it's like you've got your mind over one, one place and your body's another place. But once you release that trauma, your body can then kind of like mesh back in with your mind. So you're in alignment. So now if I want to go and do things, yes, I get butterflies in my stomach and, you know, especially if it's something new, but I don't get all those palpitations and sweaty palms and being absolutely petrified of what's going to happen. I know that I've released that trauma from my childhood because if I spoke out as a child, I was in trouble. But if I speak out now, I know my body knows as well as my mind that I'm actually safe, that nobody's going to hurt me. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? When you first realised that what had happened to you was narcissism, because like you said, when you were growing up, and even it's only very recently that it's become a word that more people mm. are hearing and learning about. I don't mean I don't know how you came across it to then realise, ah, that's what happened to me with my mum. I mean, in the time that that happened for you and you started working on that in particular, was your mum still around? Were you still yeah. in her life? Did anything change? Did you have to set boundaries? Do you still see her? What? I started setting boundaries and I started responding to her rather than reacting to what she did which is a big difference because they like you to react so they can turn and say see it's not me with the problem you need help you're the got the anger issues but once I started responding and she couldn't push my buttons anymore and she wasn't getting what I call her supply from me she twisted a story around about my dad's 80th birthday party and said that I didn't I only showed up for five minutes and then disappeared and I didn't do anything but Facebook memories come up and showed that that wasn't true but so she decided that she made a pact and decided that she wasn't going to speak to me. And she actually cut me off and went and found some other supply where she could get what she want, wanted and what she needed. And that was like 10 years ago. And you've not spoken since? I've had brief um, interchanges. Like my, my dad passed away in September 21. And obviously, in her words, I will allow you to come to his funeral. Because that's the other thing if she's chosen to cut you off does that mean you've also spent 10 years not being able to see your dad as well then yeah my dad had a stroke so she ended up being his main carer so she right. she kind of got completely got to the stage where she could actually control whether I saw him or not and mm. um, which she absolutely loved and like when she when he passed away she wouldn't let me go see him in the chapel of rest so it's a constant trying to punish you yeah and then at the funeral she had like a a, a picture slideshow a pictures like my children with my dad, pictures of my children, my brother, and there was not one single photograph of me, so like I didn't even exist. Did your brother ever, or even now, has he ever challenged her on any of this, or, or noticed it himself, or spoken to you about? No, it? he 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 doesn't challenge her. He 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 does things that are duty. What a lot of um, children of narcissists do that he will do things that are duty. Whereas I've really rebelled and and kind of we me and her used to to have quite verbal <laughs> discussions. But he's he's just kind of like, oh, well, she's my mother and, and I'll just kind of get on with it. But he has, you know, very limited things that he does. With it. He'll do things at a duty, but he mm -hmm. knows what she's like and what she's capable of. And, and, and so does a lot of my family as well, because she said to me over the years that a lot of my family don't like me because of the way I treated her. So when I went to the funeral, I thought, John, I'm going to just go there with my head held high. I'm going to say hello to everybody. If they choose not to speak to me, that's okay. Because I've healed that inner child wounds, I'm not going to, to react to that or be affected by that. 
and all of them were absolutely fine and like oh my goodness you know it's lovely to see you and all that sort of thing so it was all the lies she was spreading to to keep Mm. me away from all the family so I didn't tell them what she thought I would tell them but they already knew anyway because Mm. you know of the way she she acts so so what advice would you give to a person who came to you and said look I have a narcissistic parent I'm an adult it's affecting me now you know I've had numerous bad relationships I'm struggling with work, my self-esteem, I have high anxiety, whatever. What are the first steps to try to heal what's happened for me? That is actually realising that your mother is a narcissist, saying that that's the very first step because a lot of people are in denial. Like, you know, I don't want to say out loud that my mother's a narcissist because then will pe- what will people think of me? Because we've heard that all of our lives. But it's, it's realising that that's the best gift that you can give yourself and future generations is to start that healing process. So it's reaching out to a trauma-informed coach or therapist that they, they can help you and they, they know how to release and heal the trauma because you can, you can go and have therapy, but if you're just talking about it and talking about the trauma, you're kind of reliving it and re-traumatizing yourself. So you're really embedding it in. Whereas when you have um, a trauma-informed coach that does therapy with you or therapist, they'll actually do it from like deep in in the amygdala where all the trauma is stored and works somatically in the body as well not because when you do talk therapy it's just all like from the front of your prefrontal lobe your kind of cognitive thinking brain where you actually really need to get deeper there and work somatically in the body and somatically is is that feeling thing isn't it is a physical thing so you're you you've got to try and release the trauma for people that are at the point where i can't afford a therapist at the moment you know you know the cost of living and all this stuff or don't feel able to approach someone yet is there any strategies or tools they can use at home initially to try and start releasing a bit of that or would you say never do that on your own what you need to be aware of is noticing your, your nervous system when you get triggered and like i said before when you suddenly tense up and 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 then you feel like you're going into that i need to either run away or i need to kind of get angry and fight or I just want to bury my head under the duvet. It's noticing when those things happen and what environment you're in, because that will start to give you a clue. So it's really getting to to know your body and being aware of what's actually happening in your body, because most of us go automatically on, well, that's just how I've always been. But actually, just because that's how you've always been, it doesn't mean to say that's that's the way that you always have to be in the future as well. Because when I was a young child, I was very, very determined before the first kind of physical beating that I got from my mother and realized I'm not safe to be that that determined and outgoing because it's not safe so we tend to lose us our personality along the way because they they chip away at us and they mold us into what they want us to be so they get their supply so it's really sort of checking into and finding out where you get triggered what environment you're in who you're around what you hear what smells and things trigger you off and also what makes you feel like really relaxed and really safe and try and spend more time in those areas as well. But I also have got a, a free Facebook group that you can come and join that I give lots of tips and techniques out there, uh, which is called the Confidence Community. Be confident to be you, to be seen, heard and have fun. Because I know in childhood, when you've got traumatic childhood, you don't have much fun. You're too busy trying mm. to survive. And um, so anybody's welcome to, uh, women are welcome to come and join that. It's a women's only group. But, um, okay. No, I'll put that in the show notes. And I guess as well, like you're saying, trying to avoid the places that will trigger you. But sometimes some of the things that might trigger are things we can't avoid. It might be to do with our own parenting or places we have to go or work. Is there any little strategies that someone, you know, like you were describing when they can't breathe, they're starting to panic. Is there any quick little thing they can try and do yeah. to bring that back down? There's a couple of things. One's called the butterfly tapping. And I have to describe it as we're on a podcast. But it's if you cross your arms and, and tap alternatively your top of your arms or tap the the side of your thighs but just do it alternatively and whilst you're doing that imagine your favorite place where you feel really really peaceful now with me I always go to the new forest I love the new forest in England it's a beautiful place so what that does that that brings you out of thinking at the back of your mind in the in your amygdala to your your logical thinking part of your brain so you can calm your nervous system down and so if you want to do that, if you start feeling triggered, you can pop off to the toilet somewhere and, and do that. So like if you know you're going to visit your mother mm. like, and she starts triggering you off, you can nip to the toilet and, and do that. Or do what's called the 528 breathing technique, where it's breathe in through your nose for a count of five, hold for a count of two, and then breathe out through your mouth, counting backwards from eight 
then go eight seven six five four three two one zero. So as long as the out breath is is longer than the in breath, mm. what that does it will slow your heart rate down. Once your heart rate slowed down, it sends a signal to your subconscious mind that okay, because your heart rate's normal, you're we're safe and we can just relax. Mm. So it's all about noticing your nervous system and when it triggers off and how to relax your nervous system and that's quite a little subtle one to do if like you said you're in front of that parent right now yeah. having a conversation you wouldn't even need to walk away they're not going to tell that you're doing that breath work if you're just looking at them and nodding it's a way of keeping yourself grounded so that you don't react and give them what you said they're looking for which is the reaction yeah. And that was another question I was going to ask. If you're trying to heal from all of this, but you still have that parent actively in your life, maybe they're now the grandparent of your children or they just, you know, you haven't ever broken that barrier. Is your advice to try and cut the cord to stay away from them? Or if you feel you can't, maybe because of codependency or just because of you want to see the other parent or whatever it is, like how do you keep yourself safe as an adult when you still have that parent in your life? Start to build boundaries and do that step by step. Do one little boundary that you can you can know that you can keep so you start to kind of really kind of like train the narcissist to to not step over those because they will kick off because they love the fact that you've got no boundaries and you won't have had boundaries because they've trained and conditioned you throughout your childhood not to have those boundaries like like, well I'm your mother I can say that I can do that what I want because I'm your mother type thing so start having those little boundaries so like if she if she constantly phones you up all the time you could have a boundary of like right the second time she phones, I'm not going to answer the, answer the phone to her. She's going to have to wait until I'm ready to speak to her. She will hate it. Like, how dare you not answer the phone to me? I'm your mother after all. I'm important. And my mother used to say, I'm like the hierarchy of this family. You need to listen to me and you need to answer the phone to me. Those sorts of things. So it's do, doing little baby steps. And whatever you do, be kind to yourself because we are the worst ones for beating ourselves up. You know, we didn't like having that as a child, but we tend to take it into our adulthood. So start being kind to yourself and letting yourself know that, yeah, I've put this boundary in place, but I've kind of like stepped, took a step back and let her walk all over me. But actually, I'm going to try again the next day and just be really, really kind to yourself. Yeah, because I can imagine it's really scary to put those boundaries in. Because like you said, when you gave the example of the phone call, it could cause a more trauma and abuse to you if you're not doing what they need so it's like i don't want to put that boundary in because if she does phone me again and i'm not answering i'm now going to get a week of absolute punishment and all these horrible things happening how do you manage what will be the repercussions of you putting in the boundaries is there a way of keeping yourself motivated to stay on that boundary even though you know it's going to get rough yeah it, it is a difficult one because like with me and like so many other people if they can't get to me to have a go at me because I put a boundary place, they often take it out on like my, she would take it out on my dad. So it was like, but it's just thinking about, you know, what's keeping yourself safe as well. And that's why I say stuff of the tiny little boundary. So you can just like build it up and kind of build up your boundary muscle as such, because we're not used to having boundaries and we're people pleasers. So we'll say yes to doing anything and everything. But it's just being aware that yes, she is going to kick off. So give her that time and space and let her know that you're, you're not changing. And she keeps kicking off, there's less likely that she's going to see you or or whatever it is that you decide that you're going to do. But it is taking those little small, tiny baby steps so your nervous system isn't constantly triggered again. Mm. It's all about your nervous system and being triggered off. So it's quite important to be selfish in those areas. But then I suppose the flip side is you did do that. You put in the boundaries, it sounds like. And then she was like, I'm not going to talk to you then ever again. And 10 years of that. and, And I think you said she found someone else to do that to. It's that fear, isn't it? How do you cope with the knowing that someone else is having to deal with what you had from your life? Yeah, that, that was a tough one because at the end of the day, I had to think, well, I'm keeping myself safe. And the thing is, with children of, of narcissistic parents, they will think about everybody else all the time instead of themselves. It was I had to kind of put myself first and think, well, I'm an adult now. I'm I'm responsible for, for what I decide. So that person that she's gone to, they have to decide whether they're going to put up with her or not or put a boundary in place. I can't be responsible for everybody else because otherwise I'll be back to where at square one again. So that is really, really tough, especially because I'm an empath as well. And we used to wanting to make sure everybody else is okay and happy as well. But it's yeah. that self-care as well. It's like mm. you are important. It's that example of like when you're on an airplane, if the, the oxygen mask come down, we don't think anything about putting ours on first. You don't have somebody go, well, you're selfish. You need to like gasp for breath while you're putting everybody else's 
oxygen mask on and mm. it's the same in life we need to make sure that we're we're okay and that we're full up and we're safe before we kind of spread that out to other people in the world yeah you can't put your mask on your kids first if you're dying while trying to do it yeah you can only help have their mask and on also as well it's a on. great role model for your mm. children if you've got children if you're yeah. people pleasing and run around to it saying yes to everybody else they will think that's the norm and they will do it mm-hmm. so that carries on after generation after generation Definitely. And that is a really important thing to I think to cling on to when you're wavering and wanting yeah. to put that boundary. And it's not back easy. Down. The healing no. journey is not an easy journey. It can get really, really messy, but it's definitely mm. worth it. I mean, she did me a favour by by stepping yeah. out of my life. It's it's the best thing that, that, that happened to me as such, you mm. know, because if she hadn't stepped out of my life, I would have I would have stepped out of hers. But yeah. I mean, um, like you said, you have to remember why you're doing these things and have to have realistic expectations that, yes, I'm going to mess it up. Sometimes I'm going to give in to that boundary, but be kind and go, well, look, this is really hard what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to undo yeah. years of this. It's not going to happen overnight. These boundaries I'm trying, but sometimes I might accidentally break them and I'll just try again the next day. Like you said, yeah. having that self-compassionate talk is what will keep that going and be successful. If you yeah. look after yourself, and you make sure you get enough sleep, eat the right foods and get the exercise, you're less likely to to break those boundaries because if you're if you're really tired and you're hungry and you're, you're not feeling great, those boundaries are easier to break. So it's, it's, it all starts with you, you looking after yourself, which we've not grown up to do. We've been conditioned to look after everybody else and not, not ourselves. So it's a really, really strange concept. But once you get your head around it, it's a wonderful way of life. Yeah, no, it sounds that. And, and you've come really far. So you are kind of a picture of what can happen if you do stay on that path and do the healing work and try and release the trauma is that you can then go on and have the life that you really should have always had. My final question is going to flip it around a little bit. It's if anyone's listening to this and how you've described an arc or a narcissistic parent, if they're thinking, hang on a minute, that might be me. Oh my gosh, am I a narcissist? Or people have called me that, ah, am I? Is there a way of of reducing those behaviours if you recognise that you are and you don't want to be one? What would you say? Most people um, who've had a narcissistic parent will have asked that question. Because if you ask the question, am I a narcissist? It kind of negates the fact that you are because a narcissist wouldn't even consider that because they have no issues. As far as they're concerned, they haven't got a problem. They don't need therapy. It's everybody else around them. They never take responsibility for anything that they do. So if you're asking, am I actually a narcissist? Then, then no, you're not because you're actually thinking about what I do in my life. And yeah, we can do things and, and get angry and say things and think, oh, my goodness, you know, I didn't really mean to say that or do that. You know, with children as well, especially, you know, and I'd like to sort of stipulate this. You're gonna, If you're a parent, you're going to mess it up because they don't come with manuals. And sometimes you get angry, but it's realising how you treat the child afterwards. You know, we will apologise and say, I'm sorry, you know, mummy was tired or daddy was tired or I've had a bad day. You know, I was wrong for doing or saying what I just did. Whereas a narcissist will be angry and then say and that's your fault I'm angry mm. now go to your room or whatever or so you'll be, never be apologizing yeah. anything like no. that from them so that's the core difference if you do do that then you're not an arc um, yeah which is you a, know, you're human you're gonna I've got angry I've, I've done things and said things to people I think oh my goodness I shouldn't have done said that mm. uh, yeah I was tired I was frustrated so it's like again back to that self-care and making sure that that you are 100% full up before because you can't pour from an empty cup and we we grow up thinking I need to put my children first and do everything for everybody else and you end up and I wasn't even like on the bottom of my list of self-care I wasn't even on the list mm-hmm. you know it's like I used to say to, pe- to people I'm going to make everybody happy around me even if it kills me and it nearly did I was exhausted you know, physically yeah. and emotionally so that is definitely a lesson to go by but what worries me if they don't know they're doing it they're never going to get help then so they're going to no. be an art forever yeah. You like to think surely there are some that go and get specialised therapy, but I'm imagining they'd have to be forced by someone and would be sitting there thinking, I don't need this way. So are they yeah. are they literally unhealable people that are not? At the moment, there, there isn't any research yet that, that anybody's been healed by actually getting oh. somebody to go and get the diagnosis that they're actually a narcissist is because mm. they're like, I haven't got a problem with you. If you just behave, my world would oh. be fine. It's, it's your, your problem, your fault. So, yeah. It, wow. The only thing you can do is is change how you you perceive your past and how you feel about it, and that's where where the work comes in to go to a, yeah. a therapist who's trauma informed. Best gift you can give to yourself, and like I said, 
your children and future generations is to heal yourself so you look at it differently now my mum could come into my house and scream all the things she used to scream at me as a child that I'd react to like you're ugly you're worthless you'll never amount to anything and my heart wouldn't pound my palms wouldn't get sweaty my body wouldn't react I would think oh that's your opinion but that's not my beliefs anymore yeah, you've changed the way that you perceive her and the way that yeah, you react to her. Yeah, I've changed my her. beliefs so about myself. Yeah. And yeah, importantly, yeah, about yourself, which is the most, she can't tell you something that you know is not true. So that's yeah. a really important thing to take on. Thank you so much for coming on. My Obviously, the final thing is, where can people find you? Because like you said, you've been going viral this week. So where can they find <laughs> yeah. you on TikTok and Instagram? What's your name on there? I'm Brooke Bounds, or you can email me at brooke at brookebounds.com. And I do respond to all my emails. And I'll put links to the book and all of your socials on the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. It's actually been really interesting. And I really do love the idea of you coming back to talk about brain spotting because that seems to tie in quite nicely if if you can. But yeah, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. If you've liked this episode, please help us out by liking, subscribing or leaving us a review as this helps us to reach more people. If you've got any ideas about topics to cover on future episodes or questions about the pod, or you even want to be interviewed for it, please get in touch on our socials using at MindVoxPod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, or email us on mindvoxpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.